Well, hello there. Um, for those who don't know me, I'm Logan. I'm brother of Popik, of Kyle, as you've seen him earlier today. Um, today, we're going to be talking about God's plan, and specifically God's plan for us. And before I talk about God's plan, I wanted to create a viewpoint of your own life. And so what I wanted to do is I want you to get a couple neighbors around you, like one or two people, and I want you guys to share your earliest childhood memory with each other. So as far back as you can remember to your life, it might just be like, I remember a blue wall. Or you might be like me and you remember being in a Spider-Man costume and fighting your dad with a pillow. Um, so go ahead, take a couple moments, find a neighbor around you and share the earliest memory you could possibly think of. to share an amazing memory. Um, I'm sorry if I'm cutting your story short. Uh, I guess your memory's a little shorter than you wanted it to be. Um, and so now to create the under, other end of our viewpoint, I want you guys to share your favorite memory from next week. So your favorite memory from the 3rd to the 10th of November 2019. From next week. And so none of you here could probably share a memory about next week. So if you put two and two together. Um, so my point with this is I want us to really understand how incomplete the knowledge of our own life is. And so I want you guys to understand that when you guys shared your earliest childhood memory, it wasn't your first memory. It was as far back as you could think of. And odds are that memory you shared is probably a memory somebody told you or a memory you have seen and probably not even your own. And so if you think about it, from the first part of your life, there's couples of years missing entirely from your head. And even if you could tell me that your memory was you exiting the womb and you could remember that exact day, 
and you were like, I remember the light, the screaming, the horror. Um, I can guarantee you, you could not recite to me your entire life from day one until now. That you would have pieces missing, that even if I asked you to, hey, recite from the last week up until now, every moment that you went through, there's probably pieces that you're still missing. So what information you have on your own life is spotty at best. And as you can see, what information you have on your future is completely gone. You can predict things you might do. You might know, hey, maybe next Sunday I'll be back at this building. Maybe you can predict, like me, you'll wake up and you'll see Kyle next to you in your bed. But hopefully not quite. Uh, But one thing I can tell you is you don't know for sure what's going to happen next. And the reason I wanted to give you an example of this is because when we're looking at trusting God with our life and His plan for our life, a lot of the times we want to take control and send our life where we want it to go. The problem with that is, a lot of the times we have very little knowledge about ourselves. We can be so hard to find out and get to know somebody else, but in all honesty, we don't know much about ourselves. And it's really interesting because I'm going to give you guys a little lesson in physics today. If you were to look at time is from a physics point of view, they would explain time to you as a stream. And right now, your life is one moment in that stream. It's always going to flow forward, but you're in this moment of the stream. And so you can see what's happening here, and you can never travel back up the stream, but you can always flow down. But if you were somebody not in the stream and looking at it, you could see every last moment from beginning to end. And so what's really amazing about that is it really explains our viewpoint of our life versus God's viewpoint of our life. And so to take the stream example one step further, if you were to imagine your life as a city, right now you would be on a street. And this street is this moment of your life. Maybe it's the last year. Maybe it's the last couple of weeks. But in ultimate, you can see only this last little bit that just happened and this next little bit that will happen. And you can be bogged down by whatever things are coming in your life right now. Whether it be easy, hard, great, or bad, you know what street you're on. And you might remember a little bit about the street you've been on last week. But the ultimate thing is, you can't see every moment. And God's viewpoint of our life would be like a man sitting at a hilltop who could see the entire city. He sees the street you started on, and he'll see the street he ends on. And his ultimate goal is to direct you down the path that he wants for you. But the thing is, a lot of the times when we want to get to a certain point of our life, we want to take a straight line. And what's funny is if you look at this city, if you wanted to get from maybe this side over here to this side over here, a straight line would not be your best option. There's going to be some twists and turns. And a lot of the times, those turns can even seem completely opposite of the direction you're trying to go. But that's the interesting thing about our lives. We see that as completely the wrong way, but God sees it as the quickest path to where he wants to send you. And so the cool part about this is that if we can actually just lay our pride aside or lay our desires aside for a second and trust God, he'll actually take us exactly where we want to be. But the thing is, that requires being led directions that you're not always the most excited about. (laughs) And that can be hard for us sometimes. But what I wanted to talk about is what God's plan for us is. And I know these are pretty two well-known scriptures, So I'm not going to necessarily read them for you. But what I want you to understand, and the reason I couple these two together, is because God has a plan for you. He has a plan for each and every one of us. And he has plans that weave together. 
Every one of us here has met somebody here for whatever reason he needs. And the coolest part about that is the reason God has the plan for us that he does is that so we can possibly have a relationship with him. That's his ultimate goal. From the very beginning with all of his prophets, from Abraham and Isaac, all the way to Jesus dying on a cross, it's all been one elaborate plan after another so that you could potentially have a relationship with your God. Every sacrifice, every sin, every major person of the Bible has been here so that you could possibly have a relationship with God. Every struggle in your life, every last little thing you didn't want to do, every amazing moment, every person you've met, has all been an accumulation to decide if you want to follow God, if you want to trust His plan. And His plan is so that you could have a relationship with Him. But, like everything, there's a choice. You don't have to follow God's plan. In fact, every time in the Bible somebody's presented with God's plan, a lot of the times the first response is, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and they're scared and they're afraid. Every character of the Bible, you even see Jonah runs the complete and opposite direction of God. And one of my favorite examples is in Moses. Moses, the man who's going to part the Red Seas. Moses, the man who's going to lead them out of Israel, I mean, out of Egypt and into the promised land. The man who's going to lead a nation starts afraid. Because when we meet him at the burning bush, what Moses has before him, all his knowledge of his life so far has been growing up in Egypt as a prince of Egypt, then killing an Egyptian, and having both his own nation of Jews and the Egyptians want him dead. And he flees. And he lives out here as a shepherd. And so his knowledge of his life right now is he doesn't belong anywhere. He's never been a leader. He's never been loved. And that he just wants to live his life in peace at this point. But God can see all of Moses' life. Not just where he's been, but where he's going to be. He saw the Moses that could lead a nation. He saw the Moses that would part the seas. But when we meet Moses in verse 10, that's not at all his personality or his view of himself. It says, Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. And so that's the funniest part of this. Moses, who's got this great and mighty plan in front of him, he's over here saying, I don't know how to talk. I'm scared. Maybe I'll stutter. Just send somebody else. He doesn't feel equipped. He doesn't see God's plan the way God sees it. Because that's a big difference between Moses and God. God already knows that Moses is capable. Moses hasn't seen anything to prove him otherwise. And so this is where the trust part comes in. This is where the blind faith to make a left turn comes in. Because God already knows your life and where you're going to end up. He already knows your strengths before you have them. For me, my strength was never public speaking. Hated it with a passion. If you knew me before this, I was always the quiet kid in the corner. I never once would have been the guy preaching a sermon. And it's really funny because if you had told me then, I would have been like, you're a fool, send somebody else. I'm not eloquent. 
And so it's funny because God knows your talents before you know them. And we can be scared to be sent into a place we do not know, to accomplish a task we don't feel prepared for. But the amazing part about this is God says, Moses, you don't have to be. I will be. Because he doesn't say, no, I believe in you. You've been really good at public speaking. I can see that happening. Or I know you're going to do all these amazing things. The way he tries to comfort Moses is he says, who made the mouth? Who made the ears? Is it not I, the Lord? And so when we get to those points where we're afraid to trust in God's plan, it's not about trusting ourselves to be mighty enough to accomplish what God has planned for us. It's about trusting God to work through us. Because God has never called the strong or the amazing. He's called the weak and the lowly. He says, I will use the foolish to mock the wise. And he does that not to show that we have any talent, but to show that he can be mighty through us. In fact, the only thing any character of the Bible has ever needed to be the character they are is a willing heart. To have the heart to say, here I am, send me. That's all God needs is somebody to be willing to follow him and to trust him. He has never chosen those who are most equipped. In fact, it's quite the opposite. And he does this to show us just how amazing he can be in our lives. And so when you get to those points where you're scared to trust God to go where he wants to lead you, you got to remember it's not about you being perfect. It's not about you relying on your own strength. It's about relying on God and letting him work through you. But again, like everything, it comes with a choice. And Moses could have easily never have gone. In fact, every fiber's beans told him not to. And just like anything, if you're following a path, you can always make a wrong turn. (laughs) For some of you who use Waze out there, I'm a Google Maps person myself. But you all know that if you make a wrong turn, it still re-guides you. It course corrects. It'll tell you, hey, you made a left, you're going to make a U-turn here. And you're going to go back the other way. Because it's always going to map you back to the destination you set it to. And just like in our lives, we're not always going to follow God's plan. We're not all like super spiritual all the time, 100%, I do everything God wants me to. A lot of times we're scared. A lot of times we're selfish. A lot of times we're afraid. And so we make a lot of wrong turns. But the cool part of God is that he always maps us back to him. That he always cares for us. But just like when making a wrong turn with Google Maps, it comes with a consequence. You arrive later. (laughs) And so what I mean by that is with God, when you take the wrong turns in your life, it takes longer to come back. It's not that you can't is that there comes with consequence. When we choose not to trust God, we gotta build that back. When we choose to sin, we gotta ask for forgiveness. It takes a longer journey to walk back than if we had just trusted him in the beginning. I don't know about you, if you've ever had Google Maps take you one way and you're like, nah, I think this way's better, and then ended up at your destination a whole hour late. Yeah, I had that happen to me last week, it was not fun. Um, But God wants to lead us whether or not we choose to in the moment. But it's easier for us if we can trust him initially as opposed to after the fact. Because I like to get places on time. (laughs) But with that, he has a plan for us, but he also keeps his promises. It's not always just 
blind faith, that God does reward those who are faithful to him. And my favorite story of this is a story after Moses has led them out of Egypt and when they finally arrive at the promised land. And to catch you up, basically at this point, Moses sends 12 spies to go scout out the land and to tell them what it's going to be like, how it looks, who's there, and all those things. And so they send them, and the scouts that go there, they see this amazing land flowing with milk and honey as God had said it was. But they also see giants, people who are mighty, people who look like they could be the best soldiers this planet has ever seen. And that scares almost all of them. It scares them so much so that they decide to come back and give a false report of the land, to say that it is a bitter land, that it is not what God promised. In fact, they even say that they look like grasshoppers in their own eyes in comparison to those living there, that we cannot take this land. But there's one who says otherwise, one who stays faithful and says, no, it is exactly what God promised, and that's Caleb. And I'm going to go ahead and read this first part real quick. And it says, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunin, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. And so the amazing part about this is everybody is afraid. But the most interesting part is the fear came from within. The people of the land didn't call the Israelites grasshoppers. The Israelites called themselves grasshoppers in their own eyes. And that's what's crazy about this is when we get to these points where God's trying to take us somewhere, often we create our own nightmares. We create our own mountains, and then we deem them insurmountable to climb. We create these demons that stop us right where we are. And the funny part is, if we just actually had faith, we would never have done that in the first place. Because Caleb looked at these men and he said, no, we will devour them. Because the Lord is with us. He knew right there, like, oh, these guys are screwed. They got nothing. While everybody else was afraid. Because he remembered, this is the God who split the seas. This is a God who rained hail. This is the God who has done amazing miracles. These people are screwed. Whereas everyone else had forgot everything that God did for them. They forgot that they were led by fire and night and cloud by day. They forgot every miracle the Lord did and decided that these people here, these were too much. And because of that, none of them got to see the land that was promised to them. And that's the scary part about this, guys, is if you create a mountain and then you decide that it's too big, God will let you stay where you are. Guys, those Israelites who had finally made it out of Egypt, they never got to see the promised land because they were afraid. Their faith ended there. Their story stopped there because they chose it to be so. Yeah. And that's the scary part, is that when we decide that God's plan is too difficult for us, God's not going to come and make you go. Right. He'll let you sit there for as long as you want. And he let them sit until they died. In fact, the only one who would get to see the promised land, not even Moses would get to see the promised land, 
It would just be Caleb. And in Numbers, he gets the promise from God. It says, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their ancestors. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. And I love this verse because it says, follows me wholeheartedly. And that was the difference between Caleb and the rest of them, is that Caleb had wholehearted faith that God would carry them through no matter what. He didn't look at them and become afraid. He looked at them and saw another miracle that God was going to work. And so with trusting God to lead us where we need to go, it comes with wholehearted faith. That part where the blind trust comes in to make that other turn. Caleb remembered what God did for him. And he was not about to become afraid of a couple of big giants. He knew that God could carry him through because he had wholehearted faith in God. And so I ask you today, is your faith in God wholehearted? Is it enough to where when you see those mountains that everyone else is afraid of, when you see those choices that are the most difficult to make, is it wholehearted enough to remember that your God is the one who delivered you? to the place you are now, and he's not unfaithful to deliver you again. And in Joshua, we get to see the fulfillment of his promise. And it says, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh to Barnea to explore the land. And I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years, since the time he said to this to Moses, while Israel Israel moved about in the wilderness, so here I am today, 85 years old. And I really like this because He kept wholehearted faith for 45 years for one promise. I don't know about you, but I'm not that patient. For me to keep faith this long, I would have to live my life two times over and then some at this point. That would be double my lifetime and change. I've barely been faithful to something for maybe a year. I can't imagine waiting on God for 45 years wholeheartedly. We can become so impatient with God and where we want to be. We ask God, why am I not in that job I want to be at? Why am I not in that relationship I want? Why am I not in the place I feel I should be? We become so impatient. God, I've been trying. I've been praying. Where is my reward? And here's Kayla, 45 years in, still wholeheartedly faithful. 45 years. A lot of us haven't even been following God for 45 years, let alone holding true to his promise. And so I ask you, when you are waiting for something, are you this patient? Because at any point, Caleb could have said, where is my reward, God? I deserved it. I was faithful to you from the beginning. I deserve to be in that land now. But he didn't. He waited for God to work in his timing. Because we become impatient with God. We want to sit here and point the finger when things don't go our way and say, God, you let this happen. 
that God, it's your fault that I'm not where I want to be. When God is moving the things, he needs to move in his timing. My favorite example of somebody pointing the finger at God is in Job. If you don't know the story of Job, uh, Job's a man whose walk was blameless. He loved the Lord his God, and God rewarded him for it. And he had great many wells and possessions and an amazing family. And so Satan came to God and he said, your servant Job wouldn't follow you if you took all these things away. And so God said, I'll allow you to take his things away and we'll see what he turns to. And so Job's possessions, his family, his health is all stripped away from him. And even his friends turn to him and tell him that Job, this is your fault, that you have some secret sin you never confessed and that's the reason all this is happening. And Job's response is, God, I demand you to answer me. He, for about 30 chapters, he's saying, I want you to tell me why I deserve this. I want you to come here and give an account of the sin I committed for the reason that I'm having all this happen to me. Because Job knew his walk was blameless. And so he wanted to question God. He pointed his finger at God and said, God, why did you let this happen to me? And here he says, after this, God responds to Job. And I love this response because this is a God who is flexing his muscle. This is a God who is showing us who he really is. And it says, then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. And I don't know about you guys, but he didn't get a nice whisper like some of the other people in the Bible. He got a storm. I don't know about you, but if I got God speaking out of my storm, I'd be like, okay, time to go. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure Job started to regret things right about now. And then he said, who is this that obscures my plans without words or without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know who stretched a measuring line across it. And in fact, God goes on for about four chapters just saying all the things that he has done that Job has no idea. God is basically saying, where were you when I made the heavens and earth? Where were you when I decided every last plan for every last person, how they're going to work together so that everyone might have a chance to follow me? Where were you when I planned out Jesus' death on the cross? Where were you when I planned out the amazing things I have for your life? And I love Job's response. And he says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is it that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand, things too powerful for me to know. After Job had prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. And so this is the greatest, my favorite part of the book is Job's been questioning him and God responds. And Job realizes that he really doesn't know. He finally realizes that he's just on a street of a much vaster city that's in a much vaster world. And that he should not question God's plan for his own life. And so we're in that moment where we're tempted to point the finger and say, God, it's because of you that I'm not where I want to be. Take time and try to remember this part here so that you don't get a God that's speaking to you out of a storm. Because this is the coolest part is that God humbles Job and Job realizes that he was wrong. 
And the best part is, God is still faithful to restore to Job everything he had and more. All Job had to do was admit that God had a better plan for him than he did. And sometimes that can be so hard to trust God to go where we send him. But when we stop fighting him and trust him, things start to flow quite a bit more smoothly. And in fact, it's not even that he just gets restored to where he was before, but he gets twice as much and lives an amazing, happy life with God. And so when we get to those times when we feel like things are getting stripped away from us, when we're going the wrong direction, when we can trust God to take us where we need to be, we'll find that he restores us better than we were before. In fact, for me, I remember coming to this church. At first, I fought it tooth and nail. I hated the idea of switching churches. I was at a church I felt comfortable in. I was at a church where I knew people. I was at a church where I was eased, at ease. And coming here was scary. It meant meeting new people, making new friends, leaving a life behind. And I fought it and fought it and fought it. And until I gave in and finally said, you know what, this is where God needs me, then his blessings started to show. Because here I found a family. Here I found some of the closest friends. Here I found a home when I didn't have one. A mother when I didn't have one. A father when I didn't have one. Brothers and sisters when they were far away. And this was the most amazing thing, is that when we can learn to let go of the things God gives us, He can give us so much more. And I have a little fun animation with it. And this was shown to me about a year ago. And it's cute and it's cuddly and it's fun. But this isn't what happens to us in our lives. Often God gives us something that we need at this moment. It's what we need for our walk of faith at this time. And we we start to love it. We start to hold on to it and clutch it with all of our might. And when God's like, all right, it's time to move to the next thing, we can be scared to let go. We can be scared to close one chapter of our life to open another one. Because God's waiting to give you so much more than you have now, but he can't do it until you learn to let go of what's right in front of you. And that's the amazing thing about this little image is that we're all just little kids holding on to the teddy bear that God's given us, not knowing the gift he's waiting to give us. And so when you go through your life and when you're walking in different directions and God is asking you to give something up, don't forget that he's not unfaithful to reward. Amen. That's right. He's not unfaithful to take you where you need to go. But it does take that faith. It does take climbing mountains. But remember, it's never been a testament to your own skill. It's only a testament to how willing you are to let God move in your life. I'm a living example that he uses the foolish to mock the wise. (laughs) And so, if you want to grow closer to God, if you want a stronger relationship with him, all it takes is willingness and wholehearted faith. Thank you. That concludes my lesson.